This is another episode of On the Grid by Z Prime. Love your energy. Hello, everybody. This is Z Prime On the Grid. I am Dylan Lockwood, your host. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Aaron Hardick. Aaron, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well, Dylan. I recently bought a new bike, which I know a lot of folks have been out and shopping around the bike market. So I got in on the action and I purchased a new mountain bike, which I took out this past weekend. And I'm just really excited about it. I had been recently getting into mountain biking and had been renting a bike from a local bike shop. Um, but since COVID happened, uh, it was much harder to, to rent a bike. So I went ahead and just thought, you know, I'll, I'll buy one. So I bought one and I'm really excited about it. I'm, I've gotten really into mountain biking. That, that's awesome. Uh, I've never had the I've never had the the wherewithal to get into mountain biking. Um, I do have a bike that I use to get around, but I need to get a I need to get a new lock for it because my old lock is uh, in bad shape. But uh, anyway, we've got a let's get into the show. We've got a got a interesting episode today. We have another double feature on an interesting project. So uh, Minnesota's Great River Energy is undergoing a pilot program for Form Energy's uh, aqueous air storage system. Here uh, from Great River here from Great River Energy, uh, we have VP and Chief Power Supply Officer, John Brecky. John, how are you doing today? Doing great, glad to be here. Thank you, Dylan. Thank you, Aaron. Well, we're happy to have you. And we're also joined by Form Energy's co-founder, president and COO, Ted Wiley. Uh, Ted, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Very good. Glad to be here. So, uh, Ted, tell us a little bit about Form and about the this this battery system. Sure. Uh, so, Form uh, is a team of about fifty, mostly scientists and engineers. Uh, we're located in the city of Somerville, Massachusetts, um, and we were originally. Uh, started by a group of five co-founders, uh, of which I am one. Uh, the others are uh, Matteo Jaramillo, uh, Yeming Chang, uh, Billy Woodford, and Marco Ferrara. Uh, we started the company in 2017, and our goal at that time was really to unlock the power of renewable energy uh, to transform the grid uh, by developing a new kind of storage. Um, and we set out to uh, really uh, think about what kind of storage works not just now with some renewables on the grid, but in a future where most of the grid is powered by renewable energy. And our conclusion was that we needed probably greater than 100 hours uh, of storage for cases when the wind isn't blowing or the sun isn't shining. Um, uh, and in particular, to, to mitigate uh, cases where major weather systems are causing that, that, uh, that issue. Uh, so things like the polar vortex um, or a storm system coming through. And then re regarding your question about the, 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 the energy storage system itself that we're developing. Um, when, we, when we started out, we screened every known electrochemical uh, system uh, that could store energy 
Um, and our conclusion uh, when, we, when we were defining the problem statement was that we need to store energy 10 to 100 times longer than lithium ion does. And in our minds, that meant we needed to find uh, a chemical system for the battery that was 10 to uh, a factor of 10 to 100 less expensive. Um, and that is a pretty short list. Uh, things where the materials themselves are much less expensive than what you find in a lithium-ion battery. Uh, we concluded that the system probably was going to be aqueous uh, and that it was going to involve uh, an air cathode. So that's why we call it air breathing. Those are that class of system is has a much lower, uh, a path to much lower cost just from an entitlement standpoint. And then uh, that the anode material uh, needed to also be uh, an incredibly low cost thing. Uh, we initially started exploring a few options for very low-cost anodes in an air-breathing system, uh, and we narrowed down to one uh, in this past year, and then have been uh, set on the task of scaling that system. Uh, and this project with GRE is a major step in that direction. Yeah, how, how did that pro how did the project with GRE start? Who, who sort of reached out to who, and when, when did the ball get rolling? That started in the spring of 2018, and John and I were actually at a conference together, uh, and I was giving a talk on long-duration storage generally and how uh, I thought it would transform the grid uh, and also about how Form uh, was developing long-duration storage uh, of the type that I had described in the talk that I thought we needed. Um, and John came up to me after the presentation and said, hey, uh, I wanted to introduce myself. Uh, I'm from Minnesota, and we need long-duration storage like what you described in your presentation. And uh, that, that was really how we got started. You know, when I saw Ted's presentation and heard about their vision for ultra-cheap long-duration storage, I immediately saw that there was an alignment of interest and alignment of vision between our company and Form Energy. And so we began talking about ways to collaborate to to show that vision to the world and bring it to the to the power grid. We've long thought of storage and renewable energy as an energy problem. You know, there's there's ways to build capacity on our system to to maintain reliability needs, um, and and to do so in a in a relatively cost effective way. But how do you solve the energy problem? Was was the big question. And lithium ion wasn't going to do that for us. In fact, when I saw Ted's presentation at the Renewable Energy Conference, we had just uh, rejected the idea of doing a pilot project using four hour lithium ion batteries and solar panels to show um, renewable energy and storage in combination. And, and, and the reason we rejected doing that pilot project, aside from the fact that lots of others were we're exploring similar pilots at the time, was that we didn't see a four-hour lithium-ion battery unlocking the real potential of grid transformation and, and renewable energy additions on our system. And, and once we saw that alignment and once we saw that vision from Form Energy, we, we quickly galvanized into a new way of demonstrating storage and renewables to the grid. Can you maybe talk a little bit more about Great River Energy's company goals and values and how they align specifically with this pilot? I know you talked about um, why 
the four hour lithium ion battery proposal was rejected. But can you maybe expand upon how this pilot specifically kind of plays into longer term business plans and operational priorities? Sure. So we operate in in or and near the country's breadbasket for wind power potential and wind power production. It's an important part of our portfolio. We've been very aggressive at adding wind resources to the portfolio. And we view it as a way to really deliver very cost-effective energy supply to our member cooperatives and that, that we feel is very sustainable in the long run. It's also a really popular resource. Uh, it, has, it has a number of benefits. But to really drive the value of that to our members, we've got to be able to store it. And we have to be able to store it over long duration. We, uh, we serve in a very cold environment in the wintertime. And uh, to give you an example of the, of the type of event we have to be able to deal with with storage, there was a, there was a polar vortex event that hit uh, the upper Midwest late January of 2019. And that polar vortex lasted 48 hours. So for a 48-hour period, the average temperature in Minneapolis um, was minus 25 degrees Fahrenheit. That was the average. Holy smokes. And, and you can imagine trying to string together in series, you know, 12 different successive four-hour lithium-ion battery discharges. You would have to build 12, 12 redundant systems to carry you through a 48-hour duration event like that. Well, we can get through with a, with a form energy vision and a form energy system. That'll carry us through a 150-hour type of event and actually offer some hedge value to, to our energy cost uh, picture in the winter when we need that hedge the most. So that's why we're so excited about the potential and, and the vision here. We've long considered this to be an energy problem. And um, I'll give you just, just one more parallel. When I think about storage, I think back to how we used to talk about base load versus peaking years ago. And, and we no longer talk in those terms. We don't, we don't even think about, you know, base load resources anymore because we really just have a collection of different, of, of resources on the system, all that have different traits. And those lines are sort of blurred. But, but the reason to build base load back in the day was that it would be way cheaper per kilowatt hour. And it was more expensive to build it per kilowatt of capacity but per unit of energy, it was way cheaper. Well, the same is true of what we're trying to achieve here with the form energy battery system is we're trying to show that in the long run, the cost per kilowatt hour of storage is what it's all about. And that's what's gonna drive uh, reliability in the long run, but it's also gonna drive affordability, which is, uh, which is just so important as we think about the energy transformation of our system. Ted, John's story about, you know, design or thinking about that 48 hour period makes me think about why it's important to kind of design solutions for the extremes, not only the day to day function, but the extreme events and how you design a technology solution to kind of function at those extremes. Is that something you guys at Form were thinking about when you were trying to determine what kind of technology um, you would use for the battery? I think that's exactly right. 
Um, when we when we first started the company, before we went into the lab, uh, the very first thing we did was build software uh, and started to model the grid. Um, we rebuilt the kind of tools that folks like John and the team at GRE use to plan future grids, capacity expansion and production cost modeling uh, simulation tools, except we built them specifically with a renewable energy future enabled by storage in mind. So we made tools that uh, let you analyze the entire year, every hour of, of the year, 8760, um, of, of both the load and the generation uh, to really think about uh, what are the extreme cases. And what we started to find is that for many of the hours of the year, short duration works just fine. Uh, and then there are periods like what John was describing. It might just be once a year or it might be twice or it might be 10 times, but uh, really uh, very few where the extreme case dominates. Um, and then a system that's uh, largely thermal generation, that's okay because you have the flexibility uh, that thermal generation gives you to ramp up and ramp down. Uh, but when you start replacing those flexible thermal generation assets with inflexible renewable assets, uh, then the requirements that you put on your storage uh, go up substantially. And then all of a sudden, like John's saying, you really would like to have many more hours of storage if you could get them cheaply enough. Uh, and that really uh, was the, the basis on which we founded the company, uh, to go and search for a solution like that to enable a, a renewable future. Uh, and we were super thrilled to find not just one, but three uh, potential options. Uh, and we carried all three for the first year of our existence. And then right around the time that we were meeting uh, John and, and his team at GRE, uh, we were selecting the lead candidate and moving from the sort of early R&D screening to the scale-up phase. So that, yeah, that, and that was back in 2018. John, uh, we're here right at the start of June, 2020. Where is the project now? Where, what, what's kind of the timeline look like? Yeah, so we've, we've agreed to a, a deal with Form Energy and we've just announced it. We expect that Cambridge, Minnesota will be the center of a new vision for storage uh, by, by the year 2023. And we'll be proud to unveil the project uh, in partnership with Form uh, for the world to see and for the grid to benefit from. That'll be a one megawatt project and we're all very excited about it. And then Ted, what is what is Form's role kind of after that rollout? Are you going to continue to work with GRE to manage the system, or is your intention to sort of set them up to manage everything in house, or or some kind of combination of both? You know, ever ever since we first started uh, talking with with GRE, um, we have always thought of them as a very long term partner. Um, and in that first year, two thousand eighteen. That was the main question on our mind is, would GRE be a good long-term partner for FORM? Not just to do a pilot, but to really take major steps toward realizing our vision of grid transformation. And so, um, you know, the fact that we have signed uh, an agreement and made a commitment to each other to do this pilot, it reflects uh, the outcome uh, of that assessment, I think on both sides, that we're, we're both looking at each other and saying, there is a long-term potential here to really do something transformative. And this pilot is just the first step. Um, we are planning to deliver 
a system that is turnkey uh, and that, that GRE is able to operate completely independently of form. That said, uh, there's going to be a tremendous amount of learning to do. And so we plan to be right there beside them the entire time that they're operating the, the pilot system. And we're also hoping that the pilot system is a great success and leads to you know, much larger projects uh, that, that really uh, enable the kind of grid transformation we're talking about. This is a megawatt. Uh, GRE's overall generation system comprises over two gigawatts. Um, and you know, we would like to enable them to have the kind of flexibility that John was describing across that entire portfolio. I mean, that, that is certainly the dream for us. John, I'll start with you on this next question. Um, and Ted, I'd love to get your insights as well, because I know that you would probably have different perspectives on it. Whenever you're, you know, taking on a new technology, going in, doing the pilot, challenges are destined to arise. What were some of the, the major challenges that you guys had to deal with? And then can you maybe talk about how you overcame them? And if you haven't, what challenges still exist and, and kind of how you're thinking about solving those? So John, if you could answer it first, and then Ted, I'd love to hear from you as well. Great. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, it's a great question. And when I think about challenges towards uh, development of this technology and development of this pilot, you know, I'm going to defer to Ted on most of that because we, we sort of look to them to overcome those challenges and put the pilot in place. But the challenges that we're trying to address as a utility is, is what gives rise to the need uh, for a project like this. And so uh, when I think about the challenges that we face, um, it's, it's really the fact of we don't have resource alternatives that perfectly fit the bill. Uh, and, and you could argue that uh, a lot of the resource alternatives we have kind of don't fit the, the bill very well. So, for example, um, you know, we, we've announced a, a shutdown of our largest power plant, Coal Creek Station. And uh, I think that, that's, that's an event that's happening faster than kind of anyone would have predicted five or 10 years ago. Um, and, and so we're, we're losing our major hedge on energy cost in the marketplace, but we're, we're making that decision for economic reasons. Uh, we're going to save our members a lot of money when we shut down the facility, but then going forward, how do we hedge? The question becomes, how do we hedge our energy cost in the marketplace? And our answer over the next five or six years is we're going to hedge ourselves with, with wind power. Now, wind power can be a, an effective hedge, but it's not a perfect hedge because it doesn't perfectly follow our load shape, uh, the shape of, mm -hmm. of the consumption patterns on our member cooperative system uh, systems. And so, you know, that, that's a good hedge. It's not perfect. Uh, but it, but it's lower cost than than our existing resources that uh, that we're moving away from. The the other the other alternative that utilities have is to build something like a natural gas plant, like a combined cycle facility. In, in the case of a combined cycle plant, um, you're you're offering yourself some hedge value, but at the end of the day, you have to pay for the natural gas that is consumed by the power plant to produce electricity. And you are a price taker in the long run on that natural gas. It's a commodity price. It has 
a volatile nature to it. And, uh, and there aren't long-term contracts in the power industry for natural gas prices. There, there is for supply arrangements, uh, but not for price. So in the long run, you're a price taker and there's volatility with that. It, it's not a perfect hedge. And so what we needed was a way to really hedge our energy cost. And a, a polar vortex is a good example of a reliability event, but there's also hedge events that happen on the system. And so the problem we face is, um, you know, when we see prices go up in the wholesale power market, they don't go up for four hours at a time. Uh, they go up for, for days at a time. And, and they're usually driven by weather events um, and, and economic uh, shifts in, in natural gas prices. Well, well, this is the kind of technology that's going to be needed to offer our members uh, some risk shielding, risk protection in the long run on the price of energy in the portfolio. So we see, we see the hedge value that is provided by ultra cheap long duration storage and, and working with form energy. And that's the problem that we were trying to solve. And that's what led us to exploring this, this partnership. And I'll let Ted talk about challenges with the technology itself. Thanks, John. Um, yeah, that's a, it's a great question. And, um, you know, I guess one thing that I would say is that we are still very early in this process. Uh, we're talking about a project that's going to be operational in the middle of 2023. So I, I expect there are challenges that we still are yet to face. Um, but that being said, there, there are challenges we already have faced all the way along the way. Um, and um, one of them is a challenge that GRE and FORM faced together, which is how do you contract uh, for a project uh, using a technology that is not yet uh, fully uh, designed, is, is not final. They're, they're implied in the statement that we're going to do it in 2023 is that we're not ready to do it now. There's still work to be done in the lab um, and in the engineering design phase uh, before we, we begin the construction uh, portion of this effort. Um, and the way that we met that together uh, was something that I'm guessing is, is probably pretty atypical in the, the general field of energy project development. Um, we would get on calls. It would be John and the chief counsel um, of, of GRE, uh, Eric Olson, and then um, another colleague of theirs, Greg Padden, and then me, uh, and then some folks from our team without lawyers and really take an effort to think about and co-create our vision and really try to get you know a, a clear idea of what our our joint vision was uh, on the paper and reflected before we built a contract around it and we, you know we put a very strong effort in being open and looking out for each other uh, both when we were on the calls together but also when we were you know taking the details back to our respective sides um, and that process resulted in a, a very flexible, um, a very flexible pilot program uh, that envisions multiple possible outcomes over the course of the next three or four years, uh, and and tries to um, anticipate some framing conditions that help us uh, get through possible challenges we'll face, uh, 
um, and preserve as much flexibility as possible so that future us uh, have a lot of flexibility to think about and, and deal with the problems that we do end up facing. What, what have you learned about storage through this process? You know, one of the, one of the big things that, that I've learned from the time that we founded Form Energy to now uh, and have been continuing to expand my understanding of is what the scope of, of what kind of batteries the grid needs to really be transformed. Uh, and, you know, it, it is not a one size fits all type of a situation. There is a very robust place for lithium ion on the grid now and in the future. Uh, and there's also a need for uh, intermediate durations of storage between, um, you know, the four hours that we've been talking about and the 150 hours that, that form aims to deploy. Um, and so I, I've learned that there are a broad array of types of storage needed um, and that the trade-offs are not simple. In fact, the trade-offs are so complicated that it, it truly does require not just an Excel spreadsheet, but a computer program to do the kind of modeling to help you think about how should I trade off between, for instance, the capital cost of our system and the efficiency? Uh, how should I think about what the what the operating cost and operating expense needs to be? How should I think about exactly what the duration is and you know what kind of storage to pair with what kind of wind in a particular location? All of those questions, the, uh, the answers are not trivial. Uh, they're very location specific. They're very market specific. And there are going to need to be a lot of storage uh, solutions commercialized between now and you know the end of this grid transformation process. Uh, John, same same question. What have you learned about storage uh, from your utility perspective through this process? No, good question. And and I would agree with Ted. You know, we've learned a lot of this together as we've explored this pilot project and this partnership uh, between our companies uh, towards a, a vision of of the future of the grid. And I would just add that you know we we do see. I, I would agree that there is a role for lithium ion on the grid. But once you have 1% to 2% of the total capacity of the market covered by four-hour batteries, incrementally adding another four-hour battery to that market has very little value. You end up just shifting the peak to another hour, another four-hour period um, in the market, and they start conflicting with each other. And so I think the, I think the ceiling for value, for value in the mid-continent independent system operator market, which is the market that we're a part of is like one to two percent of the capacity in the market, and yet we all know we're going to need a lot more storage than that. So yeah. this this is a situation where um, we've got to help show the way and and show a vision, and be smart about the the rules that we're creating in the market right now, so that we envision uh, batteries of different characteristics and actually encourage those batteries to be developed. Ted, you mentioned that you've been having this realization that there needs to be different types of storage in different locations to do different types of things. Do you guys think that other folks are aware of that? Or do you still, do you think that a lot of people are focused singularly on lithium ion technology? If you could, like, where would you say in general, and I know it's it's a big generalization to make, but in general, where do you think folks are at in terms of that 
gaining that understanding? Are they still just really focused on lithium ion? Are you starting to see movement towards other types of batteries? I would say that um, lithium ion is now a trusted part of the of the toolkit uh, among the forward-leaning utilities in the country. Um, and long-duration storage is an identified need uh, that many people uh, have concluded is not feasible to meet for the reasons that John mentioned. It's just cost prohibitive. Uh, and, and when you start to have these unmet needs, uh, you know, you see technology developers go out and try to meet them. We, we, are, we are one of those. There, there are several um, and among different classes of technology, chemical conversion, mechanical approaches, thermal approaches, and you know traditional electrochemistry um, having looked deeply I, I do believe that our approach is the best um, to to very low cost long duration you know but, but many folks on the in the early stage research community are going after this problem uh, but that's still a relatively small number of people. I think we're in the very early stages of, um, of long duration storage becoming a meaningful part of the grid. Uh, that said, as John mentioned, I think as we, as we go forward, the actual market opportunity for long duration is immense, much, much larger than the opportunity for short duration storage. Um, and the reason that I, I think, you know, there's still a very large place for, for short duration storage for lithium ion is that, you know, even one to 2% of a grid is a very, very large number uh, and, and much more than has been deployed so far. Uh, so we will still see a lot of lithium ion deployed, but then we're going to see orders of magnitude uh, more long duration deployed after that. You know, on that point, um, I think that there is probably too much focus in the market and the market rules around a four-hour minimum period for batteries uh, to get capacity accreditation. And I think that works at very low levels of battery uh, penetration, battery adoption in the market. But once we, once we get above that 1% to 2% that, uh, that I'm talking about, then the batteries start to conflict with each other. And and uh, MISA would have difficulty in dispatching those to really shave the peak because um, if, you, if you dispatch them all at the same time for the same four-hour period, you're simply just moving the peak to a different time of that day. And, and so there, there is a saturation point. And if we continue to give the same value to four-hour batteries uh, year after year after year, we do reach a point where there's diminishing return, diminishing value. And that threatens the value of all the existing batteries as well, I think, in the long run. So it's time to have a conversation about that and to really think about what's the potential of that resource and what other resources do we need to, to put in the stratification of, of the resource mix around the country so that we can uh, send the right price signals in these markets and have the right constructs to, uh, to encourage efficient grid power. John, thanks for thanks for laying that out for us and thanks for uh being on the show today to to, to talk about this project we're gonna we're gonna see if we can uh check check back in every now and again between now and the and the rollout on 2023
we look forward to that. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, Ted, thanks for coming on and telling us the telling us about storage inside and out. We really appreciate that. Thank you, Dylan, and thank you, Aaron, for having us on the show. It's uh, it's great to be here. Yeah, we're we're really we're really excited to see where the, where this project where this project goes. There's a there's a lot of promise here, so uh, yeah, very much going to keep looking into it. Uh, Aaron, thanks for being thanks for being here to uh, help to help us uh, parse out what this is and what this means. Thank you, Dylan. I learned a lot today, specifically around Ted's point that there needs to be different types of batteries serving different purposes for different utilities and energy companies in different areas uh, of the country. So a lot of complexity, but certainly necessary for the resiliency of the grid moving forward. I also look forward to checking back in and maybe 2023 to see how the full uh, deployment of the system goes. It's, it's been a really fun chat today. Maybe you guys can do a guest podcast at the uh, at the site in Cambridge, Minnesota, when we do our groundbreaking. Yes. Oh live. yeah, we would love to do that. Yeah, live at the grand reveal. I like that. Uh, we'll we'll have to we'll have to see how we'll have to figure out how to facilitate that. It'd be a good place um, to bring a right. mountain bike too. Oh uh, yeah, so, I'd love to hear that, John. <laughs> yes, gonna have to figure out how to get a mountain bike in the next couple in the next three years. Um, so for everyone else, you can find our research in media at zprime.com. You can find us on social media at dylockwood, at Aaron Hardick, at zprime underscore research. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time.